0: Intriguing passage, isn't it? Narrative part of the narrative about King David. Here at Abbey, we're just starting a new series on the life of King David. This is the first in that series. There is more space committed to the story of David in the Bible than any other character, including Jesus. More space given to David than anybody else. There are four books in the Bible that are mainly about David and his exploits. Seventy-three chapters of the Bible are given over to David. That's not in count, uh, in, uh, including two-thirds of the book of Psalms, the longest book in the Bible, which is um, 150 Psalms. And quite a number of those, are uh, uh, it says that they're written by David and a number of others probably were but unattributed, about a hundred of them. doesn't include them. Sixty-six Old Testament prof- uh, pro- uh, references to him, and fifty-nine references in the New Testament to King David. So he's an incredibly important person in the Bible. He, it, if you look through his whole story, as we're going to sort of glance at over the next few weeks, you'll find that David was a shepherd, a hunter, a warrior, a general, a king, a poet, a musician, an actor, a national hero, an outlaw, a prophet, a worship leader, an adulterer, a murderer, a brother, a friend, a husband, a son, a parent, a builder, administrator, and an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Pretty big list of the things that David was involved in. One writer about David says, throughout the Bible there is no one who more fully illustrates the moral range of human nature than King David. So he's a great fellow to look at in the Bible and we're going to be looking at that. Now there's one phrase used in the story of David that really sums him up and we've read it already it's in verse 14 where it says David was a man after God's own heart a man after God's own heart and that's the phrase that we're touching on today it's not only mentioned here in the Old Testament the first half of the Bible but it's also mentioned when looking back in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13 as well right well now having given that little little bit of introduction let me start with a bit of a quiz here What's the link between those pictures? What is the link between those pictures? Any guesses? You don't have to answer. Let me give you a clue. Top left, Henry Francis Light. Frank Sinatra. Match of the Day, Eric Idol, King David, Cecil Francis Alexander. They all wrote songs, but that's not what I had in mind. Here are the songs. Okay. What's the link? I'll tell you what the link is. Funerals. Those songs are the top six pieces of music or songs that are played at funerals. Those songs or pieces of music. Last November, at the end of November, the, I don't know what it is, the, internet, the, the, the National Association of Funeral Directors or whatever they call it, they did a survey of the music that's used in funerals and these are the top six things in the previous year that were used at funerals. So shall we have a sing? <laughs> abide with me. Well, we don't do that. We're not at, at Wembley at the moment. But uh, abide with me. What about I did it my way, Frank Sinatra? And then there's a match of the day theme tune, <laughs> and so on. Always look on the bright side of life. It's funny, isn't it, that that's the only one you joined in on so far. <laughs> and um, the lord's my shepherd and then um, all things bright and beautiful those are the top 6 until last time they did this survey which was a year before the song that was number 1 on the list used at funerals was frank sinatra i did it my way that's up to november uh, up to november 2013. When they redid the survey 2014 it was always look on the bright side of life. It's incredible isn't it? That people choose those songs. Oh, I better be careful in case you've chosen it for your funeral. <laughs> but, but, but those are the songs that are used at funerals. Now when it comes to the Bible characters, after here we're not here just to sort of talk of um, useless information like that. Why do I say it? Well, in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, there's a contrast between King Saul, who was David's predecessor, and David, who followed him. King David is described, as we've already seen, as a man after God's own heart. man after God's own heart. But it contrasts him, this chapter, in fact, many parts of the Bible, contrast him with King Saul, his predecessor, who could easily have had the theme tune, I did it my way. I did it my way. If he was writing a song, I don't know whether he was a songwriter, King David certainly was, but he probably could have written a song like that and meant it. I did it my way. That was Saul's problem. As far as he was concerned, there was no one like Saul, thought Saul. He became king when he was about 30, and he reigned for 42 years. When he was selected and crowned as king, Saul was, well, he was the most handsome man in the land, the Bible tells us. Taller than anybody else, head and shoulders above anybody else. They sang songs about him. Women flocked to to Saul. He was a wonderfully attractive character, was Saul, a sort of superstar Um that everybody wanted to follow a celebrity type person you know that was what Saul was like throughout his life however only one person really mattered to Saul and that was Saul that was all he was a self-centered Israel, for, uh, Israelite apart from being uh, far from being a man after God's own heart like David was he was a man after his own heart he wasn't nasty he wasn't unattractive, quite the opposite, but the center of his attention was himself. That's Saul. We're going to be looking at Saul later in this series, so I'm not going to say any more about Saul. But he could have had that theme tune, I did it my way. You know, it was said of Hitler in, prior to and running up to the last world war and through the war, it was said of Hitler that he was the most charismatically attractive person. That's why the nation followed him. Charismatically attractive person, but he always wanted to be the center of attention wherever he was and whatever he, he did. If he went to a party, he wanted, it might have been nothing to do with him. might not have been his birthday or was being celebrated or whatever, but he wanted to be the center of attention in the party. If he went to visit somebody in hospital, he wished he was the person in the bed. He went to a funeral. He wished he was the person who died. You know, he was that sort of person. He wanted to be the center of attention that was being celebrated. Saul was like that. Wherever he went, he was the center of his own thinking. Like He was like it militarily. He was like it... I mean, he, he did ne- nearly destroyed the nation and his relationships with other nations round about. He was like it socially. He was like it religiously. In fact, in this chapter that we, we just read from, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, when it came to doing what God wanted, Saul jumped in where he should never have jumped in. He wanted to be the person who acted. So he said, I saw, verse 11. Then he said, I thought, verse 12. And verse 12 again, I felt compelled, so I acted. Though God had said, don't, don't. Didn't read that bit, but that's earlier on in the Bible. In his pride, he acted like that. And he was filled with jealousy about David when David came along. And eventually, that jealousy consumed him. It ate him up. He was thin-skinned, he was hot-tempered, and when he didn't get his own way, depression set in and disillusionment. And eventually that pathway led him to taking his own life on the battlefield when he fell on his sword fighting the Philistines, and eventually he was buried under a tree in Jabesh. Now all that downward spiral was a result of one thing, Saul being the center of his own thinking. Everything in his life he wants to center around himself, and because of that, disobedience to the things of God. Samuel the prophet, said to Samuel, "You, to Saul, you acted foolishly. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your throne and kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not." endure. His disobedience destroyed him and deprived him of the blessing that God wanted to pour on him and wanted to give him as a person, as a family and through him as a nation. Chapter 16 it talks about God saying, I've rejected him therefore. And also that chapter it talks about the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And now God says, in his place I'll appoint an unknown unimpressive shepherd boy not even the favourite in his own family was King David why because God's business is taking nobodies and making them somebodies outwardly David probably committed more sins than his predecessor Saul but unlike Saul he did not live in arrogance and pride what he did was to set his heart To pleasing the Lord so the first thing is he set his mind to please one person only God himself he set himself to please an audience of one throughout his life God himself he was a man after God's own heart not his own he was God centred he was not self centred and whilst he was filled with all the normal pa- uh, passions and desires and, and uh, longings of every human being, he had one supreme desire, and that was to please God. And like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, when Paul a thousand years later came along and started writing letters that appear in our New Testament, writing to the Philippians, he says, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And later he said, we demolish arguments. And destroy every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and when paul says that about taking his mind and making it subject to god and so that we might be filled with the knowledge of him when he was thinking in those terms it wasn't that paul was living in a part of the world an ivory tower type of philosophical existence he wasn't in a philosophical vacuum at that time in when he wrote that it wasn't an intellectual desert but everywhere there were philosophies going on everywhere there were different religions that people were pursuing. It was the day of Plato and Heraclitus and Philo and Socrates and Epicurus and the Stoics and all of their philosophies, as well as countless different religions. Various strands of atheism, various strands of agnosticism, and a thousand other things were swimming around in Paul's day. But while the intellectuals of the, his day <laughs> toyed with these ideas, they mostly did not last too long. Why? Because they, dealt, they could not deal with one thing. That thing being the crisis of the human heart. Crisis of the human heart. They did not deal with the human heart. So eventually these philosophies, these religions were deeply unsatisfying because they did not deal with man's heart. So Paul says, I discipline my mind and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. For the simple reason, only Christ deals with the human heart, the human condition been said before that the problem of the human heart is the heart of the human problem how do we deal with ourselves how do we deal with our hearts whereas Saul says I'll get what I want David says I'm setting my heart to please God and not only did he say it but he exemplified it that's why every Sabbath day even down to today 3,000 years later in every synagogue Jews will pray and Orthodox Jews will pray every single day for a king like David. Because he was a man after God's own heart. You know we need to learn from that. It starts with our mind. Then he not only has set his mind to please God he set his mind Actions to please God. I mean, it's one thing to say that you want to follow God, whatever that might mean. It's another thing to act in a way that makes it happen, makes it possible. But David did. David went after it. Oswald Chambers, a famous writer, once said, One step forward in obedience Mm -hmm. is worth a thousand studies about it. One step forward is worth a thousand studies about it. The steps of obedience to to God, of course, is sometimes costly, which is why we don't like it. But though the cost of obedience is costly, the cost of disobedience is far more costly. What God looked for was action. Saul talked about following God all the time and doing God's will. Saul talked about it, but David walked the pathway that God had set for him. As a prophet in the Old Testament once said, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. So for David, it wasn't just a profession, the words that came out of his mouth that he's following God. He acted on it. God says about Saul well he spoke to Samuel about Saul and said to to Samuel about Saul don't consider his appearance or his height for I've rejected him the Lord does not look on the things that man looks upon because man looks on the outward appearance but God looks at the heart outwardly Saul was great such an attractive person but God looked at the heart and he sees the real me he sees the real you not an image presented And he knows that though you can fool others, I can fool others by the way I talk and the way I appear and so on. I can't fool God. God knows what needs changing in my life. God knows what needs changing in your life too. So he set his mind to please God. He acted to please God. And thirdly, he obeyed God. David obeyed God. Now the longest psalm in the Bible, I I talked about the book of Psalms earlier, the longest psalm in the book of Psalms is Psalm 150, written by David. It has 176 verses. Quite a psalm. But every one of those verses, except I think it's two, have an explicit reference to God's word. God's word, God's word. He uses different words. He talks about his commandments, his decrees, his statutes, and all of those sort of things. But he says, those, the word of God is what I have chosen to think about. I will delight in it. I will meditate upon it. I will rejoice in it. I will memorize it. I will act upon it. And that's why David was a man after God's own heart. Yes, David failed. He failed d- dreadfully. He sinned. He sinned dreadfully. He forgot God from time to time when he did those things. But his heart was set to say yes to God. It was not legalism to him to obey God's word. Oh, I've got to do it. Not that at all. In that psalm he says, I run in the paths of your commands, for you have set my heart free. It's not legalism. He was free because he obeyed God's word. And they are for me, he says in that psalm, great riches. He decided he would act upon what God said. Now what does all this mean to us? 3,000 years after David lived. What does it mean to us? Well for us for us we need to think perhaps in the way that David in the way that David acted. First of all he admitted that God was right. He set his aim to please God and he admitted that God was right. Then he acted on God's word and he set his life to live for God's glory because his heart was fully committed to him. He admitted God was right, he acted on God's word and he set his life to live for God's glory. And you know, it's no different for us today here at Abbey on a Sunday morning like this with the sun shining, the doors open. Here we are. It's no different for us 3,000 years later. If we're going to get the very best out of life, apart from anything else, it is as we set our hearts to please God. If we're going to get the very best from God's hand, it's as we set our hearts to please God and find our hearts fully committed to him. For us, it's no different. The self-centeredness that dragged Saul down, of course, is in us too. I too need to be more like David. So let's finish with practical things. What does it actually mean then to set my heart to please God like David? Here's a verse from the New Testament. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is John writing a thousand years later but taking up the themes that under the surface, run between Saul and David. How do we receive the very best from God? First of all, well, there are two things John tells us. First of all, there is believing. Believing. There comes a time when having set our minds to read God's word and understand what God says, and particularly concerning Jesus himself, why Jesus came, what Jesus was here for. What his death on the cross means? What does it mean when it says in the Bible that He took my sin? God took my sin and placed, him, placed it upon Jesus' shoulders. He died for me. What does that mean? And we come to the point where we say, "Well, I can see that now. Yeah, I, I, I can believe that that happened." Believing, but you know that's only half the story. Believing things can be just an intellectual exercise. If we were to go out on the streets with clipboards. There'd be crowds of people, if we ask people, do you believe in Jesus and what Jesus did, they oh yes, yes, yes. Doesn't mean much to them. They just say, Yes, I believe it. That's belief. You have to come to that point where you see what Jesus has done and you believe it. But that's only half. The other half is this bit here for those who received him. So both steps are necessary. There is the step of belief and there is the step of receiving. King David not only believed that God's plans and purpose was right, he acted upon it like those who believe what Jesus did and act upon it by opening their hearts and lives to him. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But let me notice it goes on the other half of the verse those who are born not of natural descent nor of human decision nor of a husband's will but born of God that simply means that this you don't receive God's greatest blessings just because you try and change your lifestyle you try and be different because you try to please God it's not by human effort or human endeavour. Whether, in this case, talking about a husband's will of a child being born, or a human decision, not those things at all. It's something that God does. That's where the receiving comes in. When we get to the point where we say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, then there comes a time when we say, having believed, I must now open my life and receive all God's blessing. And then when that happens, we find that God gives us his very best. He deals with the parts of us that are our self-centered parts, like Saul had, like you have, like I have, like we all have. He deals with them. Actually, the Bible word for it is sin. We don't like talking about the word sin, of course, but that's what it is. It's when I act according to my own desires and not according to God's plans. David was as much a sinner as everybody else, perhaps more so in some areas. But he set his heart to please God and he acted upon what God says. And so for us here at Abbey today, what can we take from this, this just brief introduction to the story of David? If we want to be a man after God's own heart. We need to do the same. We need to not only take it into our minds, but into our lives as we open our hearts and receive him. So before we sing a closing song, let's just pray together and respond to what God's word says. Let's pray. I'm just going to have a moment of quietness now, while each of us in our own minds and hearts can respond to God.